0: So what we're doing today is we're continuing our visitation sermon series. And if this is uh, one of your first times with us, what we're doing this summer is that we are walking our way through uh, the the biblical story. And as we're walking through the biblical story, we're looking at key uh, moments where God comes to meet his people for the first time. When uh, these uh, people didn't know God at all, they're actually strangers with God. And yet God is coming to them and revealing uh, something about who he is to them and a few weeks ago if you were here uh, a few weeks ago uh, we had a guest preacher Paul Reeder who introduced the person of Gideon and today we're picking up with uh, Gideon's story as well and just to let me just set Gideon's story in context uh, for you because we are jumping into the middle of the book of Judges in Judges 6 and that is a challenge and that's something we've been doing all summer long, and it's a challenge when you're dropping in, in the middle of the book. But at, when God first comes to Abraham in Genesis 12, God uh, promises Abraham something. And it's a promise that he re- reiterates in Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and so on. And the promise is this, that he, God is going to give Abraham's descendants a piece of land, a place that they'll be able to turn and say, this is our home, this is our country and that is a promise that God reiterates uh, to Abraham's children well his one son Isaac it's a promise that he reiterates to Isaac's son Jacob and it's a promise that when God comes to Moses he says hey I am going to use you to rescue to deliver my people who are enslaved in Egypt I'm going to use you to take them out of slavery and take them to the promised land and then we, uh, just last week, we saw uh, the, Moses' successor, Joshua, as he's preparing to, uh, he's drawing up his, his wartime strategy to bring Israel into the promised land, and Gideon is, it ta- it, the story of Gideon takes place when Israel is living in the promised land, but there is a challenge. If you read the, the book of Judges, uh, you'll find a refrain over and over and over again. And the refrain is this, that the Israelites did what, what was right in their own eyes. And so what that means is that God's people, the Israelites, were openly rebelling against God. And so what God did then is that God raised up uh, warlords, judges, to really rescue them from uh, the, 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 uh, the strife that they're in. And Gideon is one of these warlords, one of these judges. So let's dive into uh, God's word. This is Judges 6, verses uh, 1 through 18, and then we'll jump to, to verses 36 to 40. I'm reading today from the New International Version, the NIV. So here is God's word. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Malachites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian, so impoverished the Midianites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orphah, That belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord? Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if, I now, if now I have found favor in your, in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Jumping down to verse 36. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you have saved Israel by my hand, as you have said. And, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with this fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. This is the word of the Lord. Let me me pray for us one more time. Father, we thank you for your word, and at this time, Father, we ask that your spirit would work in our hearts so that we would know your word for us, that we would know you and how you are at work in our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So one of the greatest questions that we have, it's one of the greatest questions of our entire lives, and this is a question that every single human being is asking to one degree or another, and the question is this. How can I know God's will? And this is a question that every human asks. And so answers are all over the place. And they range from, like, they, they, like the an- one answer could be that you can know God's will. You can know uh, the divine. You can know uh the cosmic consciousness through tarot cards or perhaps palm readings or to rolling dice. And some will even say that it's impossible to know God's will at all. But the key idea for our story today is this, is that the only way to know God's will is to know God in the first place. The only way for you to know God's will for your life is is for you to know God personally in the first place. In other words, that you have to know God to know his will. And as we come to Gideon, Gideon makes this remarkably clear for us. He makes it very obvious. Because one of the first thing I want you to see about Gideon is that he does not know God at all. We see this in a few ways in our text. We see this in verse 13, where he says, If God is with us, why has this happened to us? If God is with us, then why has all this happened to us? He goes on to ask a second question. Where are all the wonders and the miracles that I have heard my ancestors talk about? Where is the God who parted the Red Sea? Where is the God who had the ten plagues on Egypt. Where is the God who did this or that or this? That is the question that Gideon is asking here. Where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt? In fact, Gideon's questions reveal that he's like, God has abandoned us. Then we also see how another way that Gideon doesn't know God in verse 39, where he says, don't be angry with me. Let me make one more request. Now, Gideon doesn't know God, but he should. He is an Israelite. He is the one to whom all the promises, all the blessing that God has promised has. So, like, Gideon knows the story. He knows the story of how God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. Like, looking at our text once again, we see that how God sent a prophet to all of Israel saying, this is verse 8. It's actually not all of Israel. It's just the Israelites in Gideon's region. And the, the, the prophet says, this is what the Lord of God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you. I delivered you. And the picture that we have is that God has fought for Israel. And so not only does Gideon have the stories of God rescuing his people, not only is he a recipient of prophets coming to pursue pursue him, he's also the recipient of the entirety of God's law. And the first commandment that we see in God's law is that, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And that's in Exodus 20. But despite knowing this, Israel rebelled against God. And we see this, and this is going back uh, to help give us more context. This is Judges 2, 11 through 12. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the land, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them, and they aroused the Lord's anger. Now, we didn't read this, this one part in, in Judges six, but Gideon's dad is a priest of the, this false religion. Gideon grew, like Gideon is in a family of idol worshippers. And I, I, I want to underscore what this idolatry looks like, what uh, this Baal worship looks like uh, for, um, within Israel's day. Just, but just so when you come to th- anytime you read about Baal, he's a, you want to know that he's a Canaanite deity. He is a Canaanite god. He's a god of fertility, he's a god of farming, he's a god of rain and dew. And in the Canaanite pantheon, he's, he's the equivalent of Zeus, he is the head of the gods. And so Baal worship included animal sacrifices, and in drastic times, it would also include the sacrifice of your own children. And so even though Israel knew the, the tremendous, devastating, evil consequences of Baal worship, they are following Baal as well. They're, they're, they are potentially even going to sacrifice their own children. And that's actually a, a story that you see later on in the biblical story in the book of, uh, of 2 Kings that Israel even goes that far. But what, that, what we see right there is so we learn something about our own sin is that, there is that sin is irrational. There is no rational explanation for rejecting God. Sin is is stupid. Sin is dumb. We harm ourselves when we reject God's rule over our life. We harm ourselves when we lie. We hurt ourselves when we lust after someone and we show the evil in our hearts when we slander someone or we gossip about someone when we are willing to do anything to tear someone else down just so we can look good. And these are all examples of sin. These are all examples of how we reject God's rule in our lives today. And th- this, is, uh, a, this is a this a is picture of how we actually reject God's rule over our lives. And what Gideon is doing and all of Israel is doing in their day is that they too are rejecting God's rule. Yet, despite knowing... Uh, Coming back to Gideon, even, even though he doesn't know God, God is gracious. What does God do to get for Gideon? Gideon doesn't know him, but what God does is that he pursues Gideon. He pursues Israel, even though they are doing stupid things. God is a good father who loves us, and Gideon doesn't know that yet. And so he... Uh, Slowly, Gideon slowly begins to follow him. Slo- he slowly begins to turn his life around. And yet he is struggling. He is doubting with God's promise to rescue Israel from their enemies. He says, if you really mean it, this is like, if you actually re- recall the, sto- the, the text we read, Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, he says it twice. The second time he says it, pardon me, my Lord, if you really mean that you're if you truly mean this, that you're going to save Israel through me, then show me a sign. Gideon asks for a sign, he needs assurance, and God uh, uh, welcomes that. God shows him not just one sign, not just two signs. He shows him three signs. We actually skipped the one entire sign. That was uh, uh, the text that Paul preached on a few weeks ago. But but what happened is that the angel of the Lord is there and, and Gideon pre- and prepares a, a meal for him. And he says, hey, give me a sign. And the angel of the Lord points at the, the food and it just erupts in flames. It spontaneously combusts. And then the a- angel disappears and Gideon's like I have seen the Lord and so so that's the first sign and the signs that I want us to focus on today is the signs of the golden fleece and there's actually two signs here and so Gideon is just to, 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 to just so you see this Gideon does not think highly of himself Gideon is a coward. He is a man who really does struggles with uh, courage. And so it's, it's, it's humorous when the first thing that the angel of the Lord says to Gideon is that the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, who? That's what he's saying. Pardon me, like, who? And, and, and so, so Gideon is really struggling with this. And so he asks God for a sign. And jumping down to uh, the fleeces, the first, he says, hey, here's a sign that I'm looking for. Here's this sponge. And as here's this sponge, I ask that you would make this sponge wet and the, the ground would be dry. But the next day, and th- that's exactly what happened. And so Gideon asks for another sign. Perhaps Gideon's asking for another sign because he realized that he asked for a pretty dumb thing. It, like, just think about it. If you put out a sponge in, at night and you want the sponge to be wet and the ground around it to be dry, what do sponges do? They absorb moisture, right? All the, the moisture around it, it absorbs. And so, like, that... Could, like, so Gideon could have realized, I asked for a pretty dumb thing. And so he goes on and, and asks a second thing. And the second thing he asks for is that the, the sponge would be dry and the ground all around it would be wet, which is actually a very abnormal thing. It's actually pre- extraordinary. It's out of the ordinary. But when Gideon asks the second thing of God, he says this in verse 39, Don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with this fleece. And so Gideon, ever since meeting God for the first time, he has been struggling to really follow God at all. And so he's asking for these signs so that he can have signs that God is actually really with him. That is the thing that Gideon is struggling with. Like God has come to him and says, like, you, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And so he asks this question. But by the time we get to this fleece, like it's a few, uh, two, three, four days later, it's, it's later on, Gideon knows God is with him and at this point. But Gideon's question is that if, if you really are going to use me, the, the weakest in my family, not, not just the weakest in my family, but you're using the weakest person of my family, which is the weakest clan in Manasseh. If you're really going to use me, give me these signs. And the Gideon uses a word there. He he uses a word there in verse thirty nine. He says, "I'm," where he recognizes the gravity of what he is asking God. He is asking God uh, to give him a sign, and he he, but he recognizes that he is testing God. And I want to dive into this this idea of testing God, because in uh, when we. First see this phrase, testing God. We see this in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. And Jesus later on uh, says as well, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But the next few, verse, the, the next few words in Deuteronomy 6, verse is very important for us to understand what this command against testing God looks like. Then Deuteronomy 6.16, it goes like this. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Masa. And Masa was a specific place that the Israels journeyed through in, in their time in the wilderness after their exodus. And so the law in Deuteronomy 6 has a clear moment, a, a, a clear picture of Israel's heart in their, in their history. And while at Massah, the Israelites desperately needed water. They were really thirsty. And they, so they're grumbling. They're complaining. They go to Moses, their leader at the time, and they say, you know what? Is God even with us? like so their question is really a picture of defiance like you know it would have been better for us even just to remain in Egypt because even though we were slaves there we had water we had food but the picture of their hearts that i want you to see is that they are rebelling against god they are defying god as they're, and they're asking why is god even why did god even bring us here and later on, we see another example like that when they say, you know what? God brought us here to die. And so when Jesus quotes this verse, he is quoting that that same idea. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. And so this, the picture I want you to see is that what the command of God, what Jesus is referring to as well, is this, is this idea that we cannot test God through our rebellion. And that's a huge thing. Because as I look at Gideon here, by, bring, by co- bringing his fleeces out, he's not testing God in rebellion at, at all. He, he, what, instead, he's actually uh, depending upon God and, and recognizing he has a weak faith. If you look at the gospel accounts, there's uh, several examples of a weak faith. One time there is a man who cries out to Jesus, help me in my unbelief, help my unbelief, and Jesus does. And what we see is that we have a God who comes to us in our time of need, who comes to us when we need him. And as we dive into this, uh, as we think it's very specifically about Gideon and this fleece right here, Gideon um, is, yes, like, being a coward, where he is struggling with God's promise that he is going to deliver Israel through him, but he's like, I am the weakest tool in your toolbox. Why are you going to use me? That's Gideon's question. But when we find, this is jumping over to 1 Corinthians 1, we find that God is most glorified in our weakness. God is most glorified in our vulnerability. And so Moses, the guy who had a speech impediment, God used. That's what God does. God uses our weakness to bring him the most glory. And so here's God at work in Gideon who's uh, who's really afraid of men all over the place, and yet God is going to use him. And so what's going on with Gideon is that his request, by giving these signs, hey, Lord, show me another sign that you're really going to use me, his requests are cries for help. He, is, he needs God's help to help him believe, and he needs God's help to en- en- enable and empower Gideon to walk with him. And the God of the Bible is a loving father who helps his children. When Abraham laughed at God's promise of giving him a son, God gave him a sign. And these signs that God gives to his people are gifts to help us walk in faith with him. And so Gideon, as we saw, he doesn't know God at all when he comes to him, but through. But through his interaction with the angel, by through the sign later on, and uh, seeing what the Lord does as well, Gideon is slowly beginning to follow God and turn his life around. But in he, the signs that Gideon is asking for and the signs that God is giving, they are examples of God's kindness. And in Romans 2, verse 4, we read this, that God's kindness is meant to bring us to repentance. And so the command that we should not test the Lord your God, well, we test God when we purposefully and knowingly sin, where we take advantage of his kindness, where we take it for granted, where we, in fact, are defying God. And so coming to uh, this example of of the fleeces and really think about uh, what does this text teach us about discerning and knowing God's will, because That's the question I opened up with. How can we know God's will for our life? And uh, this is a question that we tend to ask when we are approaching a major life decision. Like, for example, should I buy this house? Or should I move? Should I take this new job? Or with family plan. It could be all over the place, including f- educational decisions and so forth. But in these moments, and for my own life, I actually come to this text uh, for guidance for my own life. And let me just give you an example of what that has looked like. Um, and you guys are actually going to be involved in this story. But so four years ago, uh, so in 2013, Jennifer and I went to what's called Church Planters Assessment. For a whole week, we had complete strangers like stare at us, analyze our lives. We participated in, in counseling. Uh, I, I preached, and my um, sermon was analyzed and vetted and torn apart and so forth. But it was a hard week. And uh, but the whole question during that that time of assessment was, uh, does Robbie and Jennifer have the skills and goods to plant a church. And so it's meant to be hard to, it's, it's a simulation, for lack of a better word, to really uh, answer the question if we are, are church planners. And the answer at the conclusion of that week was yes, these guys do. And so we go back to our home in Pittsburgh, and as we go back to home and we go back to our church and our, and our family of churches, we c- continue our conversation. And uh, the, what ended up happening is that the churches in Pittsburgh said, we do not have what you need. So you should go elsewhere. And so uh, then we entered into this time of discernment where, we, where I was looking for a, a new pastoral uh, call to serve at a church where I would uh, eventually plant a church. It wasn't going to be in Pittsburgh. And so uh, after talking with pastors all over the country, I was chatting with a gentleman down in kent Square. And in our conversations, like they said, like, hey, we, we, we like you. We love you. We want you, you to come out here to explore church planning in northern Delaware or Chester, in Chester County. So come on out. And in our conversations, I said to him, hey, this is not the easiest thing you're asking of us. Because just to let you know, think, one thing about Pittsburgh, people don't leave Pittsburgh. People go back to Pittsburgh. That's how Pittsburgh works. Um, and, but I was very candid, and I said, you know what? We have, we, have, we have a home here in Pittsburgh. We've owned it for five years. We need to sell it. And that's something that is going to be a challenge. It was on the market for two years when we bought it in the first place. I was like, okay. I was like, well, here's something else to consider. Is that like your, uh, my wife uh, has her, her career here, and so she would need to find a new job as well. And so like there's, there's a few other things. But I told uh, him very candidly, the, these are the things that um, we are putting before God in prayer. Like we recognize that you are calling us out, out there. We recognize God wants us to go out there. But these are some just very obvious things that need to happen so that we can come out here. So we begin praying, and, and, and this church is praying for us as well. And like we go to put our house on the market. And the crazy thing is, three days later, it's sold. It's like, what in the world? And then Jennifer goes in to have a, a conversation with her boss. She says, hey, my husband's taking a job out in Philadelphia. And at that time, her boss was only there for a month. And he says, do we allow remote working? And so Jen has been able to keep her job since moving. And so God has brought us out here to plant Ironworks Church. But I can look back at this time and see how God has given us signs that to actually that when I'm doubting what God is doing or using us, I can actually look back and say that God wants us to be here. And this is actually a picture of this text at work in, in this is a picture of what Gideon's doing here. And so there's nothing wrong with asking God to show you his will. God wants us, he wants everyone to live within this story. Because if you know God, you're going to have access to his will. His spirit's going to be working in your heart to show you his will. God is sovereign and he is powerful and he's going to be uh, orchestrating the life events to bring uh, his will about. And if there is an opportunity before you, and you identify those obstacles, those roadblocks, those things that you are really struggling with to follow him, then t- why not take them to God? That's, and we we take the, these things to God, and where we ask him to deal with them according to his will. It could be as simple as as asking God, you know what, God, there are some big things here. I just ask that you remove them. I ask that you would close uh, the door and close some op- cl- remove these opportunities from us. But most of the time, uh, we, already can, we can already know God's will if you, if you know God's word. Because God's will is in perfect harmony with His Word. It's never God's will for you to lie, to steal, to chill, to lust, to harm yourself or anyone else. It is never God's will for those things. And so you ask God to help you. So, so here's, uh, well, it's like this. Uh, perhaps, say, you're a college student and you're, you're, Late, you're up late one night studying for a final, and you don't, don't sleep well that night. And so the the following morning, you ask God to help you at, uh, do well on this test, to receive a good grade, and so forth. But so later, as you go to take the test, you see an answer key. Well, that's not God helping you. God is not uh, helping you. Is is not going to help you in that way because you would be cheating then. God's will, God's plan for your life never goes against his word. And and so if you're serious about following God, and you have to, to know this, that life is not about getting what you want, but it's about doing what God asks of you. He is loving and he is faithful and he is good. And so if you're following him and depending upon him, he is working in your life for your good and this is actually what god wants because he is our loving father he wants and desires a relationship with you he's your he is your creator he's your father and like like gideon perhaps uh well like gideon we we are all blind to his will we are all blind to his word at one point or another in our lives and even uh today but what god does like he does with Gideon, he comes to us, he speaks to us, he gives us his word, he gives us the spirit. And even if we are too proud to ask him for help, he will stoop to our level and break our prideful hearts. That's what a loving, faithful father does for us. That's what God does for us. So perhaps you're here today and uh, you're like Gideon. And you don't know God. You don't. Uh, you don't can think He is a good father. Perhaps uh, this is because, uh, uh, for a lot of different reasons. Perhaps it's because you don't know God's word. Perhaps it's because your own uh, f- uh, father, earthly father wasn't a, g- a-, a good father, and that informs uh, your perspective of God. But you know what? God likes to surprise us. He is tender. He is caring. He is loving and compassionate, and He wants you to know that. And He's going to to do anything to let you know that. So as you think about this, as you think about your life, do this. Lean into your, his word and ask him to reveal himself to you. And if you're here today seeking to know God's will, lean into him as well. Search his word. Get to know God more personally and pray. Share your heart. Share your struggles. Identify those roadblocks in your life that you're struggling over. And he will answer your prayers. It may not. It probably won't be, actually. It probably won't be the answer that you want. But it will be the best thing for you. It will be the good thing for your life as he is your loving father who is working for your good. He is because God is at work in everything for your good, so that you can become more like Jesus, where you become more like the person whom God created you to be, because that is what God is after in your life, because he is after you personally, as he wants you to have life with him. Let's pray.